You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. I don't know about you, but one of the things that really bothers me um, is how politicians and the media intentionally misconstrue someone's words for their own benefit. You know, really want to make them look bad. You know, so the headline is, Politician Smith Hates Children. I was like, whoa, Politician Smith sounds like a really bad guy. I wonder what this is about. And so if you actually then, you know, click on the link and read the article, what Politician Smith actually said was, you know, it bothers me when parents don't supervise their children very well. Where, how do we go from that to he hates children, you know? You know what I'm saying? You, you've seen that we read the headline and then you actually read the article. It's like, they didn't even come close to saying that. You took one literal statement out of context and you plastered that as if this is what they said or this is what they believe. And, you know, so whether or not their intent was just to get me to click on the article, you know, because sometimes that is, it's adding revenue. And I, so I understand there's motivation to have me read the article from a, a, even just a financial standpoint. Um, or whether or not they're, you know, they, they really don't like this person and want to portray them badly. Regardless, either way, there was an intentionality on the part of whoever put that together to misrepresent that individual. It was intentional to, do the, to misrepresent their words. That, that, so that, I think like most of us, I think that's just really troublesome. Sometimes, though, I've also observed that sometimes someone's words are mixed up by accident. Have you ever had that happen to you? You know, I, I, I didn't say that. Or, or um, those of you who know that there's a prior role I had at, at, in a different, uh, different time of life where I was the missions pastor of a church and I managed all of our international partnerships. And there was a time where we worked with World Relief in, in the country of Rwanda. And so part of it actually spilled over into eastern Congo, uh, actually the little town of Goma. Which is, which is uh, on the eastern border of, of the Democratic Republic of Congo. So we're over in country, doing different meetings and things, and they took us, so we actually were in Congo, and they took us out to this r- village area. I mean, it is just like the movies. I mean, it is, we're, there's nothing going on. Although I have to admit, I had the best cell reception there that I've had in anywhere else in all the world. Um, <laughs> because there's no one there fighting where you put towers. So they put them where they actually work. As opposed to, oh, I don't want a tower in my backyard, and so they fight it. And, uh, but anyway, that's another story. <laughs> so in this little village, there was actually um, a generator. The electricity came from this generator that they had, they had managed to, somebody back in time put this generator from like the 1940s or 50s. So it was ancient. But they had it over, a, uh, they, they were able to reroute part of a stream and have it. So the water was spinning the, um, <clears throat> the, um, the turbine. And there was this long shaft that connected to the generator that actually created electricity. It, somehow over time, though, that shaft had got bent. So there was a little bow in it. Not a big one. But what it did is that when it got to the generator part, somehow there was a little gap when the brushes would hit the, the part of the coil. And there was this little gap in the, the electrical current that was being created you literally had a pulsating. So you plug in a light bulb or any other electrical thing and you'd have this little faint strobe thing going on. Drove me nuts. Um, the locals just got used to it. This was either this or nothing. 
Um, and so they just, they just learned that this is kind of how it works. And, but anyways, another gentleman, myself, he's also from the U.S., and so we were standing there just kind of off to the side watching and talking, and one of the locals came up to us <clears throat> and said, uh, you know, you guys going to give us a new, a new generator? And, and not, you know, not really being familiar with the language and different cultures and customs, we said, you know, don't talk to us, talk to the guy over there. We pointed to the leader of our group, you know, who's actually part of World Relief, and he's actually, you know, much higher up, and you need to talk to him. <clears throat> and uh, I learned later that he did, in fact, approach the leader, but the comment that we heard back, that what he told our leader was, was this. He wasn't that, hey, these guys directed me towards you. The comment was, those two guys over there said, you are going to buy us a new generator. <clears throat> While that's not what we said, I, I can understand, again, just how that could be misconstrued that way, and that was what he was hopeful that would, that would happen. Here's the thing. The consequences can be significant when we misunderstand each other, can't they? I mean, it can, be, it can be a big deal. And a person's personal life, their entire career can be ruined because words are wrongly attributed to them. International incidents and wars have been fought because the meaning of words were understood differently. Fortunately, we avoided that in Congo. There was uh, no international incident that came out of that. But, but yeah, our, our leader had to do some backtracking. He had to, you know save face, number one, but also not offend, and it was, he had to, he had to navigate that one very carefully to, to get through that. I would suggest this morning that the stakes are even greater that when we wrongly attribute things to God, when we attribute things to God that he never said or did or intended to say, and that's what we're going to be looking at today, and actually not just today, but the next two weeks as well, in addition to today, we're in a three-week series that we've entitled, God Never Said That. The issue goes far beyond points of theology. So we're not talking about a theological understanding or position. See, how we perceive God affects every area of our life. It really does. It's not just what we believe. It affects our behaviors. It affects every, the way, even our general outlook on life. It affects the entirety of our belief system. So everything we think about reality, everything we think about life really does stem from our idea of God. Our, the source of our belief system should be established in the person of Jesus Christ. As Christ followers, that's for us where it all begins and it ends. It's in the person of Jesus Christ um, as revealed uh, through the truth of God's word. Our understanding, our belief system should not come from the culture in which we live. Truth is not what we want it to be. Truth is what is established by God who has given us life. As Christ followers, we believe God has revealed himself to us in his word, the Bible. We understand God not by the current cultural trend, but rather by how God reveals himself in Scripture. Unfortunately, there are a number of popular one-line statements <clears throat> or or different ideas or thoughts that have wormed their way into our understanding, even within Christian groups and thinking about God. And they sound really good and they have great appeal, but they're just not true. And yet, if they believe this truth, they can become a dangerous virus to our faith. So today, we're actually look at this idea of the one deception or the one thing that would be untruth. Is the idea here is this. If you become a follower of Jesus, 
God promises you'll be happy all the time. Have you ever heard someone say something like, or imply something like that, that if you just come to Jesus, then all your problems will go away? And, and um, the idea is that conveyed that if you're not happy, something's wrong. Well, that's just not true. The truth of the matter is this. Our happiness and success are not God's end goals. Rather, his plan is to conform us to the image and likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. One of uh, our kids, when they were younger, and I may have shared this before, so I'm repeating this story. I apologize, but it's just, it fits. So, uh, (laughs) he wanted to do something, and I said no. I just, and I forget what it was, but I just went to it. And he literally came up with this response. Again, he's probably seven or eight. Don't you want your child to be happy? Part of me was really impressed. Like, that's really, I mean, that's, that he, he, he had enough insight. All right, I'm going to come at this a different way. Um, trying to guilt my dad into it. Um, so I laughed. And I, and I literally responded, <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I, I said, your happiness is not my greatest priority. It wasn't. And, and, and see, a, as parents, we get that. Your happiness right now, I, I got a longer term thing going on here. I want, I want to make sure that you, one, are safe. Number two, that you grow into the kind of person I think you can become and I think that God has called you to become. And, and I don't think what you want to do is going to get you there. So, no. And if you're not happy with that, I'm good with that. Um, with the one child, I could have that conversation. The other two would need therapy if I talked to them like that because it was a little harsh. But him, him he, and I, he and I could do this. Here's the thing, though. So God's not really interested in us being happy, but it, it's, he does want us to become conformed in, to the image of his son, Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, um, I think if I have that verse, it says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So Paul affirms this idea that this is, what, this is God's intent. It's not that we're happy and everything's good. It's that we become more like Jesus Christ. So, but let's dig into a little deeper, this idea of happiness. Okay, because I don't want to just dismiss it and say, well, we're never to be happy, because that's not true either. The desire to be happy is natural. It's a very natural human emotion and feeling and a desire. In fact, according to our country's Declaration of Independence, the pursuit of happiness along with life and liberty is an unalienable right. Something we all have a right to with, with no discussion. The, the, in the Bible, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. So this idea of being happy and eating and, and sleeping and drinking and living life and being happy is, that's actually a gift from God. So it's, not, it's saying it's not a bad thing. Later on, the, the writer um, in Ecclesiastes, moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, Again, he says, this is a gift from God. So happiness is not a bad thing. The writer of Psalms 
It says, may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Proverbs 15, a happy heart makes the face cheerful. So happiness is not a bad thing. Happiness is a good thing. The idea that God wants you to be happy isn't unreasonable. Why wouldn't God want you to be happy? Is the way the, thought, the question might be framed. A couple thoughts about happiness. First one is that happiness is conditional. It's based on the circumstances currently present in your life. So as long as those circumstances are there, we're happy. The moment those circumstances change, I'm not so happy anymore. So it's very circumstantial, very conditional. Happiness is a temporary emotion. Okay? It's a temporary emotion. Second thought is this. And I've already mentioned this before. The pursuit of happiness is not wrong. It just shouldn't be our ultimate goal in life. That shouldn't be our ultimate goal. It shouldn't be our, most, our biggest priority. <clears throat> See, here's the thing. It's not that God doesn't want you to be happy. It's that there are no guarantees in life that you will always be happy. So the danger of this deceit of happiness, so this happiness deceit is this. If your expectation is that God wants you to always be happy and your circumstances do not match your expectations, what happens? Well, you begin to question and doubt God. If your circumstances don't match your expectations about God, you begin to actually question and doubt him. If your expectation is that God wants you to be happy and you're not, then something's wrong. If your expectation is that God wants you to be happy and you're not, then maybe something's wrong with God. If your expectation is that God wants you to be happy and you're not, then maybe there are other parts of this God thing that aren't trustworthy either. If your expectation is that God wants you to be happy and you're not, then your whole belief system can become very fragile. It doesn't just end there, however. Another danger of this happiness deceit is that you be, actually can become disappointed with God. So not only do you doubt him, you actually become disappointed. In essence, we've set God up to fail. We create an expectation for him that was just not possible for him to fulfill. We create a standard of behavior that is inconsistent with who he is. A final danger of this happiness deceit is that individuals can justify their wrong actions because they believe God wants them happy. So if I believe God wants me to be happy, I will then adapt to make it that way. When uh, <clears throat> there was a time, again, early on in life where I was actually working as an inside sales rep for a company and... Um, so I was, I was in ministry, I, but just not on staff anywhere at the time. And so I actually was working in the, the, the finance, the accounting area of this particular company. And I was talking with one of the, the guys there, uh, one of the coworkers. And so we're talking about faith and behavior and morality and those kind of things. And one of our other coworkers, she walked in and uh, my friend, to my embarrassment, says, you need to talk to her about her morality because she's living with her boyfriend. And I was like, oh, really, are you kidding me? You're just going to, I mean, how, how not to begin a conversation? To her credit, I was, I was, I didn't, 
I didn't necessarily like her response, but I was impressed with her ability to actually think that quickly and respond this way. Without batting an eye, she just took a breath and said, my morality is just fine for my happiness. Huh. What she had done is she contrived her own moral basis and standards to fit what she wanted, to how she wanted to live life. So there was no biblical standard. There was no theological standard of behavior. It was one that she crafted on her own to fit the way she wanted to live. That was her belief system. It was to fit the way she wanted to live. And we do that, don't we? If we think that God wants us to be happy, if we think that God has certain things for us, then, and if it's not present, then we think something's wrong, and then sometimes we will then adjust our thinking in order to accommodate that. Sometimes we use that as an excuse. So then if, if our happiness isn't God's pr- greatest priority, what is he committed to? How do we think about that then? All right, I understand the idea that it's not that he's opposed to happiness, but it shouldn't be our greatest pursuit, and God wants us to be shaped, conformed to the image of Christ. What, is, what does that look like? What, how, do, how do we want to break that down? A few thoughts about that. One, I think God is more committed to your spiritual growth than your comfort. That's really un-American, isn't it? I mean, the American dream, it's, you know, it's life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and things that God's interested in our spiritual growth and our comfort. But here's what I understand. Again, going back to my role as a parent, I was very comfortable putting boundaries around my kids. They didn't like it. They didn't, they didn't appreciate it. They, but it was for their own good. They just weren't either at an age, they weren't mature enough, responsible enough, you know, whatever, to actually handle some situations. And the reality is those boundaries expanded as they grew up and demonstrated maturity and responsibility. So curfews, you know, went from you need to be in home by nine to midnight, you know, by the time they're, you know, graduating from high school and but they had demonstrated that they were responsible, would do what they were expecting. You know, and so those, those changes and adapted, they could handle greater freedom. At the same time, I was also very comfortable knowing that they weren't happy with those boundaries. You know, you know there's that tension there. I, I thought that I want my kids to not be happy, but there was something else going on here. When um, the same child I just mentioned earlier most of my stories are around this one child, actually. But uh, <laughs> neatest kid, neatest, neatest kid today. I'm just, but uh, and he's about six or seven, and he was upset that couldn't do something, and he came after me, just really upset. He goes, "Fine, if you want me to do this, then then you're no longer my dad." <laughs> okay, <laughs> I don't think he kind of get how this parenting child thing works, but. But, but he's obviously just venting and just real upset, but that's kind of how he wanted to think. And that's, sometimes we think that about God too, don't we? I don't like this. I'm in a situation I don't want to be in, and, and this is not good. And, well, if this isn't, well, maybe God doesn't exist. Maybe God doesn't exist, but I don't want to believe in him. He's not. And our unhappiness create, causes us to think wrongly about our relationship with God. 
we have a hard time remembering that in the context of eternity, our time on earth is very, 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 very short. As Christ followers, our goal is not peace and contentment in this life. Our goal is peace and contentment in the next life. That's our goal. That's, that's what Paul is talking about constantly. It's not here and now. It's then and later. James tells us, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. <clears throat> so God's committed to your spiritual growth, not necessarily your, your happiness. Also, a second thing, I think God is committed to use times of mourning for the healing of your soul. God is committed to use times of mourning for the healing of your soul. <clears throat> Can I be really honest and blunt? Um, when it, the verse says, the one I just read, said that perseverance must finish its work so that you may, you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. There are times in life when if it means that I do not have to endure the hurt and the pain and the suffering, there are times when I'm okay being immature and incomplete. You know what I mean? I don't know if to, go th to be mature and complete means I have to go through that. Sometimes I don't know that I want to go through that. Sometimes I'd rather just be where I'm at. The idea of ignorance is bliss, and I'll just, I'm happy where I'm at, and I don't want to go any further, and that's really kind of how it is sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes we don't necessarily want to grow and develop. And uh, one of my other kids recently told me, he says, this adulting thing is really hard. <laughs> you know, they're in their 20s now living on their own. And, you know, this one in particular, you know, she's having to deal with, you know, auto insurance at the time and things that, you know, they have to go out and find her own, you know, as opposed to, you know, being on, you know, just those things are just, it's, it's as we grow, sometimes we don't want to grow. Sometimes it's, really easier just to stay where we're at. And let me be clear about this. Let me say, I don't think God causes us pain and suffering and loss so that we can become more like Jesus. I guess it's a theological conversation and there's, there's, there's different points to that, but most, I mean, say by and large, the overwhelming majority of the time, I don't think God causes those situations so that we'll grow. I do think God can use the pain and suffering, the hurt we're going through, that's already in our lives to help us become more like Jesus. There's a huge difference. God can take what we're going through and use that for our own benefit. Here's the thing I've learned, that sometimes we have to experience the hurt and the pain in order to find God in the middle of it. And that's the irony of you only know God as your provider if you're in need. You only know God as your healer if you're sick or not doing well. You only know God as comforter when you're experiencing sorrow and pain. So sometimes we have to, in order to experience God in a very deep and profound way, we have to go through those um, difficult times. And um, this past week, I was exchanging um, some texts uh, with uh, Casey and uh, she had lost her mom a couple weeks ago. 
And uh, we were just going, just exchanging some comments about that. And she shared with me a comment one of her friends had told her about the pain of losing someone, which I thought was very relevant. She says, this person told her, she said, don't let anyone ever tell you that it gets easier because it won't. You will never get over her loss, but you learn ways to manage your hurt and eventually accept what has happened. But the pain will still be there. Matthew 5 tells us, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Lastly, God promises joy, which I love this statement. Joy is that settled state of contentment, confidence, and hope that comes from trusting him. Our culture has an obsession with happiness. Um, Halfway through my, uh, when I finished my, my uh, going through my doctoral program, um, the school, the, the university I was attending, they created this new um, center. They have a center for student happiness. And it's interesting. Actually, if you look online, it says the Center for Student Happiness, or C- CSH, it exists to increase the quality of the student's experience at blank university. The heart of CSH is to cultivate a welcoming environment that supports student success. That's, that's not a bad thing. But it was interesting is that a couple times during the semester, I'd get a phone call from the, the center for the student happiness wanting to know if I was happy as a student. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> obviously, she just, this student just had a name and a number, and we're just, it's like, really? I'm in my 50s. I don't even live on camp- this, this, you know, and so, but, but it was interesting. But so, so are you happy? It's like, well, let's see. I remember these conversations, this thought. It says, I have two papers due by midnight Sunday. I hadn't started my sermon yet that was coming up Sunday as well. I've got a stack of papers that I need to be graded for the course I'm actually teaching. Am I happy? No. <laughs> I am stressed beyond. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what to do. It's like, I am not happy at all. But I remember thinking this, but you know what? I am having the time of my life. Really, I'm in good health. I have a wife for reasons known only to her, still loves me. Um, kids still love me. I have a nice home. I've got food to eat, carded. I'm like, I am so full of joy. Life is good. I'm not happy. I'm still stressed, and that's not my emotion of the mood, but I am, life is good. See, joy is not the absence of problems. Happiness is. Happiness is there's no problems. Joy, again, is this settled state of contentment. There's this confidence and hope in something greater, something bigger. Our lives can be full of problems. Challenges, struggles, and hurts and pains can be full of all those things, and we can still have joy. We can. Some of you, some of you are those people. I love being around people who are like that. It's not that they're they're it's not that they're trying to be false. It's just that the stuff that they're dealing with is just not their focus. You know, some of you have met people like you know people like that. That these are people who are energy givers, no matter what the circumstances are. Again, they're not trying to be false. They're not trying to be this mind over matter thing. They're genuinely at peace. Life still is a struggle and they're still having a hard time, but this idea of a settled state of contentment, 
confidence and hope that comes from trusting in Jesus Christ. Romans 15 tells us this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May Paul's words ring true for all of us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for um, the words you do give us. Um, Father, for your expectations for us. We do know that your, your hope and your, your, your desires for us are all very good, very positive. But sometimes life gets in the way and sometimes things happen that, uh, that, that, that remove us from that kind of a, a season of happiness. Father, for the, any who might be here this morning who are really struggling and are just really having a hard time finding this joy, this peace, this contentment, I pray, Lord God, that you would meet them right now at their point of need. Father, that they would find comfort, that in the midst of their hurt, that they would find this deep contentment. May they find joy. Father, our desire is not that we be false, that we somehow put on a facade that everything's great when it's not. We can be genuine. We can be authentic. We can be honest. But Lord, that they, that, 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 that circumstance just doesn't overwhelm us. It doesn't consume us. We're able to think and live above our circumstances. So Father, that's my prayer this morning for anyone here who might be struggling that they have this ability to live above their circumstances, that uh, they would find you in the midst of that. As well, Lord, I'm also, I just very conscious of the fact that sometimes it takes time for us to get there. And that's okay. Lord, I know sometimes I can love you passionately, but Lord, sometimes we can struggle with life. And sometimes life is hard. And so, Lord, um, I pray, Lord, that our, our, our focus is not whether we can be at that place right now today, but that we're making progress. We're getting there. And that's okay. Lord, again, I just pray that each of us would feel your love, your mercy, Lord God, your joy this day. It's in Jesus' name I pray. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.